Okay. Mark chapter 14. Let's turn there this morning. Now, hopefully that was exciting. Now we're going to get real serious. Mark chapter 14 and chapter 15. We're coming to the end of the beginning. Uh, We already know the context for our story today. We've been digging into it in this gospel project as we move through the scriptures. We've come into the Passion Week of Jesus Christ. He arrives in Jerusalem for his final time. The people are worshiping him, waving palm branches. He's riding in on a donkey that's never been ridden. But the religious leaders and the religious crowd are not only seeking to stop his message, now they're seeking to arrest him, and now they're seeking how they can go about killing him. And as we talked about last week, Judas arrives on the scene to the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're so delighted at the opportunity to pay him 30 pieces of silver to get Jesus alone and to be able to arrest Jesus and catch Jesus. Those who claim to be his closest friends are about to betray him, desert him, deny him, forsake him, and leave him in his time of need. Today I want to talk about relationships. You might wonder how that connects, but we're going to try and connect the dots. What happens when relationships break down, are dysfunctional, when relationships suffer? When people who love us cause pain to us, or when the ones we love are the ones who get hurt, how do we respond? What do we do? How should we feel? How did Jesus feel? When relationships are difficult and dysfunctional, you know, it seems like in this season, I'm hearing in our communities, in our churches, there is a ton of dysfunction, there is a ton of hurting people, there are a ton of broken relationships across the board. Today I want to talk about what Jesus did in the breakdown, the dysfunction, and the suffering of the relationships around him. So let's talk about when relationships suffer. Now I want to point out right off the bat, before you set your pen down, before you change the channel, before you check out, this is not going to be another talk from a pastor where we say, you got to do better. You got to do more, you got to try harder, you got to be a better parent, you've got to be a better spouse, you got to be a better child, you've got to be a better employee, just do more, try harder. That's not what I'm going to say today at all. In fact, I want to take the pressure off because I feel like we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be the perfect friend, spouse, parent, child. And I just want to say, there are no perfect families in the Bible. Do you ever realize that? Every family in the Bible has dysfunction. Uh, Pastor Andy just did, sorry, Pastor Andy Stanley, I should, there there are a few more Pastor Andys, I'm sure, I know a couple myself, but he's been preaching through parenting in the 21st century. I would encourage you to check that out, it's a three-week series, but he says even Jesus' own family was dysfunctional. His siblings thought he was crazy. I mean, go all the way back to the first family. Their kids, one of them, killed the other one out of jealousy. Look at Father Abraham. (laughs) He lied about his wife, and then he got the servant pregnant. Think about Moses. He ran from his family for 40 years when he knew it was his family who needed him most, his own people. Dysfunctional families are all throughout the Bible. In fact, there's no perfect family in the Bible, no perfect earthly family to point you to and say, be like this family. Because every family messes up. So can we take the pressure off? 
That means that in this room, those of you watching online, everyone in our community, there are no perfect marriages. There are no perfect kids. There are no perfect parents. There are no perfect friends out there. Do you realize that? So I want to talk about when Jesus' closest relationships on earth during his earthly ministry as he's coming to the end of the beginning, when they break down and suffer and are dysfunctional and they desert him or betray him and deny him, how does he respond? What does he do? How does he feel? That's what we're going to dig into this morning. So let's see what happens. After the Last Supper... Jesus experiences intense emotional, relational suffering long before the nails are ever put in his hands and feet. He's enduring the suffering of being the sacrificial lamb in our place long before the arrest, long before the trial, long before being beaten up, beard plucked, spit upon, punched, carrying his cross, crucified, suffocating, long before all of that, he's already experiencing the pain the anxiety, the anguish of the soul. Point number one. Who likes points? I'm going to have six of them today, okay? Don't all cheer at once. Point number one. Promises not kept. Do you ever have somebody make a promise that you knew they weren't going to keep? Do you ever have somebody set a track record for not keeping their promises? Coworker make a promise and break it, a friend, family member. It damages the relationship. It damages trust. And relationships are built on communication and trust. And if promises are made that are broken, it damages the relationship. Jesus tells the disciples, in order to fulfill scripture, the prophecy of the Messiah, you will all fall away. Every single one of you. You remember we talked about last week, Peter jumps up because he's the spokesperson on behalf of the disciples. And he says, even if these all fall away, even if all these dummies fail you, Jesus, I won't. And Jesus says, well, it's, it's funny you should say that. Because before the roaster, rooster, roaster, rooster cries twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter says, Jesus, surely not. I will go with you to prison and to death. I've got your back. And then I never realized this. Look at verse 31 of Mark chapter 14. Peter says emphatically, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then look at this. I have never noticed this before. They all said the same. Now, I'm thinking maybe Judas had ran out at this point. Jesus says, go and do what you're going to do, betrayer, and then he goes out. And So this is the other ten disciples agreeing with Peter and saying the exact same, verbally pledging their allegiance to Jesus, whether it meant prison or death. All of them said the same. Have you ever had a friend make a promise that they can't keep? Break a promise. You know, I've never experienced 11 grown men pledging to have my back, whether it meant prison or death. But I have pledged that to my wife on, let's see, July 16th, 2011, when we got married. I said, even if it means death, I'm yours. That's my vow. Can I just make this brief point? The basis and the foundation of your faith and trust cannot be in a person cannot be in a man or a woman, cannot be in another human being because people 
break their promises. If your absolute basis and foundation for faith and trust is in a friend, is in a spouse, is in a parent, is in a child, you're going to be failed because people break their promises. Your basis of faith needs to be in Jesus Christ. He's the only one who makes the promise and keeps it every time. He's already kept it. So there's a promise not kept. And then Jesus wept. Following the Last Supper, Jesus and the 11 disciples, they head out from the upper room after they'd sung a hymn, it says. Probably not the time when I would feel like singing, right? The betrayer has just ran out. Jesus says, you're all going to fall away. Let's sing a hymn. Then we'll close this service and we'll head out. So they head out. They cross the Kidron Valley, the Kidron Brook, which is known for being the place where the blood of those Passover lambs would flow, which is a picture of the Messiah. They cross over that brook. They head into the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane literally translated means olive press. The crushing of the olives in the process of adding pressure to get that olive oil out of them. That's what Jesus is experiencing right now. Look look at what he says in verse 34. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. This is Jesus talking. I'm so sorrowful, even to the point of death. Remain here and watch. Have you ever just been so broken inside and you just have a few relationships on this earth where you would pour out that kind of pain to, where you would entrust those people to know how you really feel on the inside? I have just a couple of those relationships where I would truly open up and tell people exactly what I'm experiencing in my deepest parts. Do you have friends like that? Do you have relationships in your life where you can pour out your deepest longings to. This is what Jesus does with these 11 disciples who follow him into the garden. Jesus goes further. He has this incredible time of prayer with his heavenly father. I don't know if you've seen that famous painting. I'm not going to ask you who painted it. I don't think it was Leonardo DiCaprio or Leonardo da Vinci. But Jesus is praying there. He's bent over the rock. He's got his hands folded. He's looking up into heaven. Have you seen that scene in the light? Is shining down. I can just picture Jesus praying in the garden. It says his sweat became as great drops of blood. Jesus was so under so much pressure and tension that physically blood came through his skin. Have you ever exerted so much force that you break a blood vessel or the blood comes through? Incredible. Jesus is under so much pressure and anxiety and stress. And he prays to God the Father, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. Let this hour pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And then Jesus returns to the disciples, whom he asked to remain here and watch. And they're they're sleeping. The apathetic slept. You know, can I just say something about Jesus' prayer that I often think about? As to why Jesus found it so hard and what he was asking God to remove from him. You know, I don't think it was the betrayal of his friends. I don't think it was the desertion. I don't think it was the denial. 
I don't think it was the arrest. I don't think it's the trial. I don't think it's when his beard is pulled or when he's punched or when he's mocked, when he's spit upon. I don't even think it's when he's carrying his cross beam or when he's being nailed to the cross. I think when Jesus prays, take this cup from me, let this hour pass from me, Jesus is referring to when God the Father turns his face away from the Son. Experiencing the full wrath of God, experiencing separation from God the Father. When God looks away from the Son because the Son has become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus hangs on that cross bearing our sin and God can't justly, righteously look upon sin, he turns his face. I think that's the point at which Jesus was saying, please take this cup from me. Separation from God the Father, facing the wrath of God. And then the apathetic slept. Look at verse 37. He comes back and he finds them sleeping and he says to Peter, Simon, Simon Peter, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Just one hour. And then Jesus goes back to prayer and the Bible says that he prayed the same prayer. He used the same words. Now, if you've ever thought that your prayers have to be creative or unique or eloquent or elaborate, Jesus repeated the same prayer. Prayers can be repetitious. Jesus goes back. He prays the same prayer. He returns. He finds them sleeping again. He says, are you still sleeping? And they don't even know how to respond. They don't know what to say. They're so embarrassed they can't answer him. And Jesus goes back to pray a third time. God sends an angel to minister to him. His sweat becomes his great drops of blood. He's under all of this anxiety. He returns to the disciples, and they're sleeping again. And Jesus says, it's enough. Enough. My betrayer is at hand. The apathetic slept, and the betrayer crept. Do you like rhymes? Do you see it rhyming? I'm hoping that'll get it to stick a little better. The betrayer crept. Now let's rewind a little bit in our story and let's go back to the Last Supper. Do you know that Jesus knew Judas? He knew him. He knew who he was. He knew who he had been. He knew who he was going to be. He knew what he was going to do just like Jesus knows you, just like Jesus knows me, just like Jesus knows the skeletons in every closet. Jesus knew Judas and he fed him. He washed his feet anyway. And while they're there at the meal, Jesus begins to say, one of you sitting at the table with me is going to betray me. And it goes around the table, all the disciples are asking, is it I? Is it me? And then Jesus says this, and I want to point this out, back to verse 21 of Mark 14. He says, for the Son of Man, which is a messianic reference to Jesus, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better that he had not been born. That's some pretty heavy stuff right there. But I want to point out these few words right here. As it is written of him. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Now I said probably a month ago that pain and purpose should always go together. You shouldn't go through pain without a purpose. And if you're in pain, you should keep the purpose in focus. This is what Jesus does. He's about to be betrayed, but he says, this is all part of the plan. 
The Son of Man is still going as it is written. Prophecy is still being fulfilled. Judas is just serving in a part of the story. Judas thought that he could benefit by stopping the story in its tracks for 30 pieces of silver, but it turns out Judas was actually just a key part in the story. Pastor Stephen Furtick, he said this, No one can interrupt the purpose of God in your life. Because he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion. You know, when that person walks away from you, or that friend betrays you, or maybe your your employer lays you off, that child detests you, it can't stop God's purposes for you. Judas thought he could stop the purpose of God by selling Jesus out for the price of a common slave, but it turns out that he's actually just a key part in the story of Jesus' arrest. Nobody can stand in the way of God's purposes for your life. Now, I love this this image that we have, these railroad tracks, the end of the beginning. You know, every rail line has an end, has a beginning. But it's kind of hard to change the direction of the tracks, isn't it? They're laid there, they're firm, they're bolted into the ground. Have you ever lifted up those beams, those railroad ties? I've moved a few around my yard and it is hard work. You get a number of those laid every one or two feet, whatever, and those big railroad spikes down into them, they're not going to move. You can try and stop the train, you can try and divert the train, but when the train's on the tracks, you can't change the tracks. God's purpose for your life is unchangeable. And only he's the one that gets to author it and gets to dictate his purpose for your life. Nobody can get in the way of that. Nobody can interrupt that. And when it feels like a setback, when it feels like an interruption, potentially it's just the end of that chapter and the beginning of a new one. Judas was a key part in the story. He thought he was going to stop the story. He's a key part in the story. Judas arrives in the garden with a crowd And they're holding clubs and swords, torches. And then in verse 44, Now the betrayer, Judas, had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. I always thought that was such a weird symbol. If you're going to give them a sign to know which person it is, why wouldn't you just describe, like, Jesus always wears this blue sash and a white robe, and he's got long black hair, that's the guy. Why kiss him? I think in our culture, we kind of miss the greeting of a kiss that takes place in other parts of the world that we don't really do, which I'm okay with. Um, But if you read into the language, the original language, it's as if Judas kissed him repeatedly. which I just find revolting. And I I was reading in my devotions, I've been going through the book of Proverbs every month, and in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Kisses of an enemy and wounds of a friend. Why do we put so much weight into the words of people who don't care about us? Do you ever wonder that? Like a celebrity can post something on social media and people are ready to give their lives to whatever that person just said and the celebrity doesn't know them, doesn't care about them, doesn't know God's plans or purposes for their life. Judas has no claim on the plans or purposes of Jesus' life and mission and why he came. We can't 
put weight into the kisses of the enemy and disregard the loving correction of the people who know us and love us best. Wounds of a friend, kisses of an enemy. Judas says, Rabbi, and then he kisses Jesus repeatedly. And then the soldiers who are with him, they lay hold of Jesus. They seize him. There's a little more in the story in the other gospel accounts. They come up and they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus says, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus. And and he says, I am here. And they all fall backwards, which is incredible. And then he asks them another time, who are you guys looking for? I can only think that they answered a little more sheepishly that time. And Judas says, Rabbi, kisses him. They seize him. And then Peter pulls out the sword. And he's swinging for that guy who's got Jesus seized. And if you read into it, the right ear was cut off and you think about it, I've heard some people explain that potentially they seize Jesus, they turn, they're walking away and Peter slices off that ear potentially as they're turned with their back to Peter walking away, which adds a little bit to the story. But I love this part. Jesus potentially is being held by Malchus the servant of the high priest, going to lead Jesus back to the high priest. Malchus is the guy who gets his ear chopped off. Jesus, potentially, while he's cuffed to Malchus, leans down with his free hand, grabs that ear, and miraculously heals Malchus's ear. The same guy who's leading him captive to his his death, Jesus heals him. Talk about loving your enemies. I love that picture. Promises not kept, Jesus wept, the apathetic slept, the betrayer crept, and the deserters leapt. You getting sick of those rhymes yet? Maybe it'll stick in your head. The deserters leapt. The soldier grabs Jesus, Peter slices the ear, Jesus heals the ear, and then in verse 50, they all left him and fled. Not one of them stayed. Jesus is alone with the people who have him captive, leading him away to his, to his trial and to his death. Jesus called it. He knew. He told them, you know, I don't think that made it hurt any less. Did you ever have somebody desert you, abandon you, betray you, walk away from you, run away from you in your time of need? If there was ever a time to stand with Jesus and to stand up for Jesus and fight for him and defend him, now is the time. Peter's words were, I will go to prison, I will go to my death. Now is the time to walk the talk. And they all run. They all flee Jesus. Jesus has invested three years with these men and they leave him in his time of need. Have you ever been deserted? Have you ever been betrayed? Have friends ever walked away from you? It hurts. It really hurts. Stabbed in the back. We learn this so early, don't we? I mean, I didn't have to teach my son that when he's in trouble and questioned, he can point at his little sister. Or in middle school, when your friend says, hey, you know what, I know we're both kind of competing for a starting position on the team but our friendship is more important than come to find out he goes to the coach behind your back and then he gets into the starting lineup and forgets the friendship that you ever had or maybe you go to college and you agree that you're going to try a long distance relationship with your boyfriend but then a month in you find out he's posting pictures on his story with another girl 
Or maybe that employee that you've sat beside for six years took your great idea for the next project proposal and presented it as their own with no credit to you and left you in the dust. Everybody has been betrayed and abandoned to one degree or another at one point or another. We've all felt this feeling like, I thought these people cared about me. I thought they would stand with me. They promised to be there for me. And now when I need them, where are they? They're running away. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted at all points as we are tempted yet without sin. Jesus experienced what you and I experience when it comes to broken, suffering relationships. The deserters leapt and denial swept. That's the last rhyme, I promise, okay? I won't do any more. You're welcome. No more rhymes. Denial swept. Peter follows Jesus at a distance. And the soldiers lead Jesus to the high priest, Caiaphas, and he enters into their quarters. The whole Sanhedrin, the council, they're all gathered there, all the religious leaders. The people are hurling accusations at Jesus, but then the accusations and the different stories, the testimonies and the witness, they all contradict one another and none of their stories will line up. And then Caiaphas has had enough and he stands up and he says, aren't you going to say anything? You hear the accusations. Peter is overhearing all this. It says that he's downstairs in the courtyard. And he's keeping an eye on things from a distance. Peter sits down with the other soldiers and guards around the fire and he's warming himself. Which, I mean, you see the selfishness in the disciples, don't you? I mean, Jesus just washed their feet. He fed them. They're arguing about who's the greatest. They're trying to sleep, catch some shut-eye in the garden. Now he's trying to warm himself by the fire, and his friend is in his deepest need. Peter's sitting by the fire. He's warming himself. And a servant girl comes up to him. And she says, surely you were with him. And Peter's sitting there. He's got the guards. He's got the soldiers. They're sitting around the fire, and he's looking around. He's like, this is not the time for this conversation. He says, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know who you mean. And he gets up from the fire. He walks out of the courtyard. He goes through the gate. And this servant girl follows him, or potentially there's another servant girl out there, and she says, surely you were one of them. And he denies it. He's trying so hard to get away from it. He's feeling the heat and he's trying to get out. All these bystanders are around. One of the bystanders speaks up. And the bystander says, look, I hear your accent. You're from Galilee. The only reason that you're here is because you are one of them. You're a Galilean. And Peter says this in verse 71. He began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And then the rooster crows two times. He denies Jesus three times. And Luke tells us that in this moment, Jesus makes eye contact with Peter. And Peter remembers the words. And he runs and he weeps bitterly. Ever have a friend pretend they don't know you? Or maybe that just happens in middle school and high school. Immediately, the rooster crows again. Peter runs. He's weeping bitterly. 
Now let me, let me summarize the trial. Jesus is in the courtroom with the high priest Caiaphas, with the whole council, everybody's gathered, these accusations are coming, they're not lining up, Caiaphas finally has enough. He says, tell us, are you the Christ? Jesus says, I am. I love those words, I am. You can see the I am statements through the Gospel of John. You can see the I am statements through Scripture. It's a claim to be God. He says, I am. And then Caiaphas tears his garments, and then they cover Jesus' head, and they begin to spit on him, they begin to punch him. And then Friday morning, they send him to the Roman governor of Judea, Pilate. Jesus stands before Pilate. This whole time, Jesus is just standing in silence. He's not defending himself. He's not correcting any of these false accusations that are coming. He's not giving his clever parables or his responses that seem to stop people in their tracks. He could have. He totally could have. But he's standing there in silence. And Pilate says, are you not going to give an answer? Are you not going to answer any of these accusations? Are you not going to say anything? Jesus stands in silence. The Bible says that Pilate, the Roman governor, is amazed that Jesus could just stand in silence and take all of that. And he says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, you have said that I am. And then Pilate thinks to himself, the only reason these religious leaders are doing this to Jesus is out of jealousy. He knows the story. He knows what's up. He knows their hypocrisy. And so he says, look, we have this tradition. At this time of year, we release one of the prisoners. So I'll call out to the people, who would you have me release? And then come to see all of the chief priests are bribing the people and they're stirring up the crowd to call out for another prisoner, a criminal named Barabbas. They cry out, Barabbas, Barabbas. And then Pilate says, what should I do with Jesus? They stir up the crowd again and they all yell out, crucify him. Then Pilate says this, he says, what has he done that I should crucify him? What has he done wrong? Why? And the people just cry out all the more, crucify him. Pilate washes his hands and sends Jesus off. Now next week, Steve is going to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. And I don't want to steal any of that thunder. But in the bit of time that we have left, I want to keep a promise. And I want to tell you one response that Jesus had in light of all of these broken relationships. In light of all the broken promises, the apathy, the betrayal, the desertion, the denial, how does Jesus respond? Jesus remained. When I was studying this out, I was really hoping there would just be, you know, something flashy, something really creative, something really unique that I could throw at you. Jesus responded in this way, and you can use this little tip, trick, principle too, and it will help you in dealing with those broken relationships and those people who've abandoned you. But there's nothing flashy about it. Jesus stuck it out. Jesus remained. Jesus stood in silence. Jesus took the punches Jesus took the beard plucks that those disciples should have received. Jesus took the whips. Jesus knew they were going to desert him, forsake him, betray him, and he washed their feet and fed them anyway. Jesus prayed for them in the garden. 
Jesus stood up for them at his arrest and said, look, your issue is with me, not with these around me. Jesus remained. He stayed. Jesus' selflessness stayed when their selfishness strayed. Jesus stood up for the people who refused to stand up for him. You know, the best thing you can do in a broken relationship is to be available, to be faithful, to remain, to be with. You ever been sitting with somebody who's hurting, who's broken, and you, you just wish you had the words to say? You just wish you had the money to pay. You just wish you had the act of service to fix it. You just, I would love to fix it. That's, I just feel like, okay, I need to fix this. I need to fix that. But oftentimes the best thing you can do when somebody's hurting, when a relationship is broken, is to just be available to, to be with. It's not about what you say. Um, Our senior pastor at a previous church in New Brunswick, he would always say this at, at funerals that they would host at the church. And I grew to appreciate this statement so much. He would always stand up and say, on behalf of the family, I want to thank you for coming today. And then he would say this, the family is probably not going to remember how you signed the guest book or the comment that you make or the gift that you put in the card box or the flowers that you bring or what you were wearing, what you say, but they are going to remember that you were here. They are going to remember that you were with them in their time of need. I love that. Jesus stayed. Jesus remained. Jesus stood up for the ones who fled the scene and ran away. Jesus was standing there for them. Jesus was standing there for you and for me. Jesus stood silently before his accusers for the friends who forsook him. And I just want to end with this encouragement to endure suffering as a good servant of Jesus Christ. How we go through hard times and how we remain faithful to our purpose, to our calling, to our relationships, to our promises, to our God, is oftentimes what's going to speak louder to the world than how we celebrate our triumphs and our joys and our mountaintops. How we go through suffering and stay true to God, remain faithful And stand our ground is often going to speak louder to the world than how we celebrate our victories. Jesus stood silently, refused to defend himself, refused to correct the disciples, refused to question Judas. He took it. He bore our sin. He took the weight upon himself. And by his wounds... We are healed. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And he remained for you and for me. I just want to end with that thought and we'll close our service in prayer. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity to open your word. God, it's a familiar story. We've heard about Jesus praying in the garden, about his betrayal, his arrest, Peter's denial, the trial. Next week, we're going to hear about the crucifixion. Jesus, thank you that you endured all of that for me, for us, for Judas, for Peter, for your disciples. 
for Pilate, for Caiaphas, for those high priests, for those soldiers that hit you, that pulled your beard, that spit on you, that stabbed you, that put those thorns into your head. Jesus, you took all of that in silence for all of us. And I just thank you. Jesus, I pray if there are any here today who have not received that message, that they would do so. God, I pray for those who are hurting in relationships. Maybe there are those of us sitting in the room today or watching online and we're the ones who are walking away from relationships or abandoning relationships or walking away from parents or kids or spouses or fleeing when things get hard. God, help us to remain. Help us to be faithful. Help us to keep our promises to the ones we love and ultimately to you. Jesus, thank you that you stayed when things got hard. Thank you that you didn't escape, that you didn't run away, that that night when you prayed in the garden, you didn't run back to Capernaum and hide, but you stood silently and you took our place. You took our punishment. You took our guilt and shame. You took our nakedness and you nailed them to the cross. Jesus, I thank you for that. God, help us to stand in your power, in your purpose, by the strength of your spirit, by the redemption and the pathway cleared by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God, help us to remain steadfast. Thank you for who you are today, God. In Jesus' name, amen.